We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. Give everybody a chance to make their way. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is a fun scripture. Any, any, listen, anytime we're talking about ourselves, it's fun. As much as we don't like to admit it, everybody likes to talk about themselves or everybody likes to hear someone else talk about them when it's favorable. Now, when it's not favorable, you know, that's, that person's lying. So that, that's how we see it. So we, 1 Peter chapter 2, let's look at verse 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar. You know, from where we came from, peculiar meant strange, odd, different, uh, not like the rest. That word peculiar uh, in the Greek doesn't mean odd or strange. It means a, a purchase or an acquisition. We are a purchased, not a strange people, not an odd people. We're an, we're an acquired people. We're a purchased people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Man, think about that a second. In times past were not a people, now the people of God. Now that's talking about you individually, but that's also talking about us as Gentiles. We were not a people. Now, who was the people of God in the Old Testament? Who's the people of God in the New Testament? The church. Now, we're the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but we now have mercy. little story. Wendy was this really strikingly beautiful woman. She was very intelligent. She was well-dressed. And yet, she had the appearance of a little frightened bird. She had everything going for her. By all appearances, but except that she looked like this little frightened bird all the time. She constantly talked about it, a hunger and desire to actually find true love. Uh, surely someone with her looks, her intelligence, her would have no problem finding somebody. You know, you'd think, how is it that Wendy possessed so many outward, outwardly beautiful qualities, but just lacked this self-confidence to attract men? It takes more than outward beauty. I know, ladies, y'all don't believe this. <laughs> but it takes more than outward beauty to attract men. It honestly does. When, when there's a self-confidence that a person has, and it's vice versa, both sides. I'm just speaking from the male side. But, but, but there's a quality of self-confidence that tr attracts men. But she didn't have it because it came from memories of her old memories of her old days when she was young of rejection that she had. When she was nine years old, she grew five inches in one year. Now, for a guy, that's great. We're like, yeah, linebacker. 
But for a woman, that's devastating. So she grew five inches. She was the tallest girl in her class. At five feet, ten inches, though, she stopped growing. But her height really set off her good looks. But the memories of the old days, she's five foot ten, has these great looks, great, all this great appearance. She's an adult now. But the memories of the old days of the school dances when no guy would dance with her because she was too tall. At the school dances, everybody danced with everybody except her. She stayed on the wall. She stood there. Nobody won. It still haunted her. She still thought about it. She felt rejected. The hurtful names that her classmates called her. Do you, ever, do you ever see somebody that's extremely tall? You know, for guys, it's one thing. But listen, I had two daughters, and I did learn something. Although I didn't have any girls in my family, that out of the two daughters, I did learn something. Women are extremely, uh, <laughs> when, well, I'm going to talk about the guys too, but, but in general, not all women, but in general, I've noticed this, that when a person has a flaw, man, they go after it. <laughs> I mean, guys will say it and fight it and then move on. <laughs> I know, Bishop, I'm digging a hole, I know. We didn't team up to do this, y'all. Don't. I'm making a point here. Is that it really wasn't, she was rejected, not just by guys, but by girls as well. She had total rejection. Now, y'all all see the look I'm getting from my wife, right? <laughs> huh? No, she won't even look at me now. That was a generalization. Not all guys are that way. Not all girls are that way. But understand, she suffered the rejection and how cruel people can be. The hurtful name still lingered in her memory, even though she's now an adult. She has these constant thoughts of uh, knowing that what it was like to me made feel like a piece of junk. Even though she didn't look like it. Even though she, because of the rejection that she suffered. Studies in the last 40 years indicate that we see how we see ourselves. Uh, determines the, to a large degree of how we act and how we react in life. How you see yourself, and by and large, by the most part, determines how you act and how you react in life. Self-perception, self-worth, self-esteem tend to govern. They're governing factors in your life. If we see ourselves as a loser, by and large, to a degree, we act like a loser. If that's how you see yourself, that's how you act. If you see yourself as a victim, by and large, you will let people victimize you. If that's how you see yourself. If you see yourself as uncreative, by and large, you'll never come up with any creative ideas. That's how you see yourself. If you see yourself as a piece of junk, well, then you begin to think you're garbage. That, that's sad, but it's true. If you see yourself as a success, by and large, you begin to repeat those successes. Think about this a second. This is a normal fact of life. You want to do what's good if it does you good and not do what's bad if it does you bad. That, that's the way to, your belief about yourself, by and large, determines your behavior, how you act. Wendy's belief about herself started in her childhood, but 
in life, people have negative views of themselves throughout life because of these, this erroneous information they get from people who were misinformed and unauthorized to even tell them these things. People will tell you things about you that, number one, it's erroneous information. They may hear something from somebody and then say something to you about something when the information they got was bad. The second thing is they're really not authorized to even give you an opinion about who you are. Who are they? Think about this a second. Look at yourself from a different perspective today. Okay, that's what we want to talk about. You need to hear from an informed source and an authorized source about who you are, not an uninformed and unauthorized because it's going to mess you up when you listen to the other people. A, stu- a student in, uh, in, architect- in architecture entered this, this nationwide contest for uh, you know, a building design, and the judge panel was actually other architects, and they judged everything, and she received honorable mention. I mean, she was so depressed because she felt like she had the best architectural design, and she got overly depressed. Uh, while she was eating her lunch at the last day of the convention, this elderly man walks by, and he takes a look at her design. He didn't really know it was her design. He just looked at it, and he said, you know, I think this is the best of the lot. And she heard him. She went home elated because he said, this is the best of the lot. Why was she elated? Because that old gentleman happened to be the greatest architect of that time, Frank Lloyd Wright. It came from an authorized source and from an informed source. She knew those judges may be tainted a little bit one way or the other, but an authorized and a person that had the ability to look at something and actually this is what it really is came into her life. Listen, when the authority tells you something, you can count on it, right? Frank Lloyd Wright was an authority in architectural design. And what he said made a world of difference to her life. When the authority speaks into your life, you count on it. And God's the authority about who you are. He is authorized to tell you who you are. He's, he's authorized to tell you what you're about. He's your creator, and he has, he has the correct information about you. Many times people in your life don't have the correct information and make judgments against you, don't they? Have you ever done that to somebody? I have made a bad judgment against somebody and said something to them and didn't have the correct answer. I wasn't informed properly, and I wasn't authorized to make that judgment call. God is the only one you should be listening to. God is the only one you should be listening to when it comes to you. Many a pastor have fallen because they start listening to others instead of listening to God because God will keep you humble. But you start listening to your own press and listening to your own, and you know what? You're going to fall. You got to listen to God. There's many a persons that had opportunity in life that they started listening to people instead of God, and they lost their opportunity because they listened to the wrong, unauthorized, uninformed person. So in the first in the first chapter of First Peter, Peter talks about what God has done for us. Okay, and in the second chapter, he talks about what God says about us. And that's what we want to talk about today. As a believer, he informs you of who you are. You are chosen, verse 9. You are chosen, verse 9. You are chosen. Do you understand God chose you? You didn't choose him? He said to the disciples, hold on a second, guys. You stop right here. You didn't choose me. I chose you. 
you need to understand something, guys. He stopped them in their tracks. You don't choose him. He chooses you. You're chosen by God from nothing to something. Nobody likes to think they were nothing. But before you, God found you, you were like me. You were, thought you were a lot of something, but you were really nothing. I thought I was a lot of something, but I found out I wasn't anything. I was nothing. But God chose you from nothing, and you became something. You were rejected, and now you're accepted. Most people spend their entire life trying to be accepted, don't they? Everybody's doing this, but most everybody should be doing this because we spend a lot of part of our life wanting to be accepted by people. Yeah, I'm going to use a different term. In the old term, we called it buttering up to people to get to wanting to get, I almost used a term that probably was kind of off. (laughs) We spent a lot of time doing that, trying to get the acceptance of people. You don't need anybody's acceptance. You need God's acceptance. If you're accepted of God, the people that God wants you to be accepted of, they'll be in your life. The people that have no business, they'll be out of your life. But if you'll, but we spend a lot of time. We we spend a lot of time in our early years wanting to be accepted of our parents. Then it becomes our peers. Then it just becomes our partners. Then it becomes people that we work with. People. Then it becomes the other people that have kids like we do. Then it becomes grandparents like we're now grandparents. We want to be accepted. Most of us do that because we do it from people that we respect and that we envy. We want to be accepted of people we respect, don't we? But the other side of it is that we want to be accepted of people we envy. We envy them because they have more, they have this more, they have that more, and we envy that. So we want to have that acceptance. The desire to be accepted uh, influences the kind of clothes we wear. Just let this, it doesn't for Pastor Don anymore. There was a point in time, Pastor Don's life, well, probably not even that. Clothes wasn't important. Car, yeah, not clothes. But we, a lot of times we buy clothes and wear a certain kind of clothes to be accepted. We buy a certain car, brand of car, type of car to be accepted. We buy a certain house in a certain place, a certain size, a certain value to be accepted. We want people to think that we're like them. Even the kind of career we choose. Sometimes we're off base in our career simply because we wanted to be accepted. When God had us go in this direction, we wanted to be this way and go in that career because, after all, that person, that we respected them. We wanted to be, and we're flustering and floundering. Why are people driven to be accepted? Why are, why are we driven to be accepted? What, what's the bottom line of that? It's because we love being accepted. Don't you love walking into a place and people naturally are friendly to you? Hey, how you doing? Never met you in your life. And you, they, they, they act like you're your, their brother or sister. As opposed to going into a room of people and nobody ever says a word to you. You know the different feelings. You've been in both of them. One of them is an accepted feeling. One of them is a non-accepted feeling. Correct. That, that's what acceptance is. Yeah, I'm part of you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say this about the person that walks into a room and doesn't, like, doesn't care about being accepted, doesn't like being accepted. Be very watchful of them. <laughs> because they're being watchful of you. You know what they're doing? Huh? 
They're observing. <laughs> They're observing. That's why people like that. There's nothing wrong with that. They're, I'm an observer. I like walking into a room and observing to get the feel of people, to understand what they're about, to listen to conversation, to watch how they react, how, who they react with. I like doing that. I was sitting in a, uh, what used to be a great mall. It's a terrible place now. Greens Point Mall, north of Houston. Jan and I were in Greens Point Mall. And so uh, I sit down in this little cubicle thing in the middle of the, while well, Jan went to a store, and I was just doing my normal thing, observing, observing, observing. After about 10 minutes, this girl walks out of the store. She says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. Why? She said, and I looked, and there was like three other people in the window, and they were all looking like, she said, you looked so depressed. We thought you were considering suicide. (laughs) I was just observing people. So, you know, there's a whole dynamic to that. So I told, no, you know, my wife's shopping over here, and she'll be out in a minute, and I'm just looking at people. Anyway, we're, we're, we're driven uh, to be accepted because we like that feeling. We love to know that someone has chosen or accepted us. No one likes being the last one in a group to be chosen. Guys, you remember you were the last, if you were the last person being chosen at football or basketball or baseball or, or going hunting or whatever, you were the last one or you wasn't chosen or you were one of the last two, and you were part of the last two, but the guy you, that you were with, you knew that three other guys that were picked before you, you were better than any of them, but you were still the last one. It's a bad feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're the one too many. It was really special. See, the, usually the captains of the teams were usually the best two players. That's kind of how it worked. And so it was really special if the captain of the team picked you, and especially if the, he picked you quickly. You felt accepted. You liked being chosen. Were you ever chosen last at anything? Have you ever been chosen last at anything? You remember how it felt? Nobody likes that. I guess if you were being chosen the last one to go to hell, that'd probably be a good deal, but you're still going. What difference does it make? It's the same feeling. The point I'm making, it's the same feeling regardless. When you're the last, you're the last. When you're chosen or accepted, think about this a second. Something happens to your self-esteem when you're chosen, accepted. You feel good about yourself. I'm headed somewhere with this, y'all. I'm not trying to build everybody up to make think. We're headed somewhere with this. There was a, the parents of a Vietnam soldier received a call from their son. He was back in the States, and he was headed home. They were excited. They were thrilled. They, they were, he made it. You know, uh, On the phone call, he said, Mom, I, I, I want to bring someone home with me. And was that my sneeze? Okay. Okay. I just want to bring someone home with me. He's in pretty bad shape. He lost one eye. He lost one arm. He lost one leg. But I sure would like for him to live with us. And she said, sure, we, we can probably find a place, you know, in the house or room somewhere. And he could stay a while. And he said, you don't understand, Mom. I, I, want, this, I want him to come live with us. He's in bad shape. And she said, okay. She said, we can try it for 60 days. And if it doesn't work out. And he said, Mom, you don't understand. I want him to come. He doesn't have a, he lost an eye. He lost a leg. He lost, he lost a, an arm. And he needs somewhere. He need. I want him to live with us forever. He's in pretty bad shape. She got pretty frustrated at this point. And said, "Son, be realistic. Your emotions of being in this war have gotten to you, and you're not thinking for the best for yourself. That boy is going to eventually be a drag on you, and it's going to be a problem for us." And said, "Just be reasonable." Click. He hung up the phone. The next day, the parents received a telegram saying their son had committed suicide. 
And so a week later, they received his body there. And when they went in, they were horrified when they looked at the casket because there in the casket lay their son. He had lost an eye, he had lost an arm, and he had lost a leg. So he was just trying to be accepted before he ever got home. He just wanted to know, I'm accepted the way I am now. You understand that even with all our flaws, God still accepts us as we are. Even with all the flaws you have and all the flaws I've got, He still accepts us. He and he, God invites us to His home with, with no special conditions, no restrictions. He literally chooses us to live with Him. Understand how valuable you are to God. That's, that's what we're going to talk about here. How valuable you are to God. How much do you think you're worth? Not your net worth. Your self-worth. How much do you think you're worth? Never confuse valuables with value. That's a problem in America. Many people, their value is based on their valuables. They don't feel their value because they don't have particular valuables. Never confuse the two because they don't coincide. What you have doesn't, doesn't give you value. Never confuse it. Never put them together. Two things determine value in life. Think about this a second. Value depends on what someone is willing to pay for something. There's not too many people that want to pay for this Bible right here. It's well used. Pages are torn in it and all this. But let me tell you something. If people in the church world knew that Jesus had held this Bible and preached out of it, don't you think there wouldn't be people offering a bunch of money? Why is that? Ah, because it's who obtained it, who had it, who owned it. You know, a house, a car, a piece of art, baseball card, they're only worth whatever somebody's willing to pay. It depends on who owned it. People will pay millions of dollars to get a hold of a Ty Cobb or a Babe Ruth card, but they won't pay a dollar to get a hold of a Don Biddick baseball card. One doesn't exist, but they wouldn't pay a dollar. Why is that? Because it's me. I didn't hit 714 home runs. I don't, I don't hold, still hold records at, from the early 1900s. And base, I'm not one of the... Value depends on who owned the item in the past. That, that's where personal possessions of important people can enhance the value of something. So based on those, type, those two criteria, how valuable are you? What's your value? How much are you worth? 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You've been bought with a price. Somebody paid a price for you. Somebody thought you were valuable. There was a value in you. Somebody paid a price for you. Who was your purchaser? Jesus Christ. Why did he purchase me? Because I held no value. I held no value to me, but I held a lot of value to him. You hold a lot of value to God, so much so. You hold so much value. He was willing to die. I don't know anybody in this world that's willing to die for a Babe Ruth baseball card. I don't know a soul that would give their life for a Babe Ruth baseball card. But Jesus gave his, you're so valuable to him. And you need to let this get ingrained in you about who you are. Who owns you since he purchased you? Listen, when you, one of the things that irritates me the most, when I'm walking out, if I go to Walmart and I've, I've paid for my, I checked it out. I put it in the sack, and I paid for it. And for somebody to stop me and say, can I see your receipt? I tell them the same thing every time. No. 
Why not? Are you hiding something? No. I own this stuff. I've got a receipt that says I own it. And if you want to see that receipt, it's going to cost you. And they tell me goodbye. They don't like that. <laughs> they know there's about to be a confrontation. I, I disdain that because if I'm the one that purchased it, I own it. It's none of your business. And if you think I'm stealing, the next time I come in, follow me around. Follow me. I'll put all kinds of stuff in my shirt and all that and just unload it before I get to the register. Jesus purchased you. He owns you. And he owns me. What did he purchase me with? His blood. Have you ever purchased anything with blood? Me neither. He purchased you with his blood. Sinless blood. Precious blood. The cross proves your value. It proves your value. What happened at the cross? He paid a supreme price. So, so understand this first. Jesus sees you as extremely valuable. That's how he looks at you. The second thing is you're a royal priesthood. That sounds a little scary. Royal priesthood. I, I, I'm a priest. That sounds a little... Mm. Peter tells us that you now enjoy two benefits of being a priest. One is that you have direct access to God. Priests of the old had direct access to God. Uh, you don't have to pray through someone else to get to God. You don't have to confess your sins to someone else to get to God. You don't have to experience God through someone else. You have a direct access because you're a royal priesthood. Direct, royal, top of the line. You can go directly to it. And then the second thing, this is another benefit. A lot of people see this as work, a job, a requirement. It's a benefit. Is that you have a responsibility to minister to the needs of others. That's a benefit. God chooses you. You're valuable. And then he, he says, you come directly to me because I've got something to tell you to tell them. I've got something to give to you to give them. You're a direct worker for God, not indirect. You don't have to wait for pastor to tell you to do something for God. You can just go do it. Clink. <laughs> don't wait on pastor to tell you to go. Listen, you've got a direct hookup. Use it. God says we are all gifted to, for ministry. You know, pastors are called ministry. We have ministry, but we're, we're, we're all ministers of the gospel. Every single person that comes into the kingdom is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here to do his work, and we are here to speak on his behalf. The pastor's not the only person that speaks on God's behalf in this world. You are. You're a royal priesthood. It's intended for you to speak on the behalf of God to other people. He doesn't put up billboards along the way saying, I am the Lord, trust in me. The billboard is in you. You say, he is the Lord, trust in him. God's given you that ministry. Every one of us have that ministry in our lives. The Latin word for bridge, the Latin word for priest, rather, means bridge. When it says you're a priest, you're a bridge. You're a bridge, a bridge builder. You build a bridge between God and man. You are that bridge. You're, God calls us so that when, when God's calling a person, it's very unusual. It does happen, but it's very unusual for God to call a person into the kingdom without using another person involved in that person's life when he calls them. 
99.99999% of the time when God's calling a person in the kingdom, he's going to use another person to, to bring them in. They're the bridge. They're the voice of God. They're doing the work of God. Jesus said, you're going to do more because I've got to go. You're going, there's going to be more that's going on in your life. You're going to, you're going to fulfill the work that I did. You're going to do, because why are we saved? We're saved to, it's another S word, but it's not heaven. Heaven's not an S word. We're saved to serve. That's why we're brought into the kingdom, to serve. To serve the pastor so that he can have a big house and a big truck and a big car and a big boat. No. You're, you're, paid to serve, you're, you're called to serve so you can make sure that the pastor has everything he needs. No. You're called into the kingdom to serve people. The greatest thing you could ever do is serve another person. In the eyes of God, that is the ultimate. That is the ultimate, to serve someone else. God's literally entrusting you to complete the work He started. That's how valuable you are. That's You're a royal priesthood. He bought you. Here's something we have problems with in the church. Not only does God trust you, not only does God believe in you, God has faith in you. He chose you for a reason. He has faith in you. He believes in you. And that's a problem we have in church. And here's here's why we have that problem. Does anybody know? Because it starts off with what we started off with. What did we start off with in this lesson? How we see ourselves. How we see ourselves. Because we know us other than God. We know us better than anybody else knows us. And so we see ourselves. And a lot of times when we endure a failure or we have a sin or something happens, a transgression in our life, we see ourselves as that transgression or that sin. Understand this. God is against sin and transgression. But when you sin, you are not that sin. When you transgress, you are not that transgression. That's something that has happened in your life. But that's not you, and that's not how God sees you. Many, many a person doesn't complete the work of God in their life simply because of how they look at themselves. They don't see themselves as God sees them. I'm not trying to build you up and have the big head about who you are in you. I'm trying to build you up and give you the big head about who you are in God because you ought to have a big head. Listen, you all know what that means? That's an old. The big head means you've, you're so full of yourself that your head's so big. You have, okay. You should be so full of God. That you know what? The work that I'm doing, I'm doing for the God that created all of this. The service that I'm performing here is for the God that created all of this. And you know what? You ought, you ought to let yourself grow a little bit. It's okay. God intends that. God doesn't want this kind of church. You need to believe Jesus or oh that's not God's church at all. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm probably gonna get chastised about it most of the people in christianity today could not have absorbed or done what they did in the early church too wimpy too wimpy too wimpy boy you know there was a time in america a man was a man now y'all y'all don's gonna get carnal no this is straight out out of the book a man was a man he believed in God, and he had no problem telling you he believed in God. He believed and trusted in God, and he had no problem living that way. God was the center of his life. Men are called leaders of homes and, and leaders of states and countries. And Oh, yeah, this, 
this goes out, then I'm going to get some emails. There's, there's, the lead, there's the lead that God called us to be that now men have wimped out. Yeah. We're wimping out, guys. Say again. Boys adrift. Okay. Boys adrift. Mm-hmm. You, you know why guys in our society today turn to the things they turn to and, and don't do the man things they should do? Is, is it because they're a little, you know, uh, no, it's because we didn't direct them the right direction. It's not their fault. It's ours. You can say what you want, like what you'd like. Some of you won't get up and walk out. Whatever you, it's our fault. We didn't lead where we should have led. If we'd have led where we should have led, we wouldn't have that problem. We wouldn't have that problem. Jesus was very adamant about the leadership. Leadership in many ways. <clears throat> leadership, the biggest part of leadership is servant, servitude. That's the biggest part of leadership, servitude. What does that mean? That means if you're going to serve your family well, you're going to be the leader. If you're going to serve your son well, you're going to teach him how to grow up and be a man. If you're going to... I know this is not popular in our society today. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. We've got to... Finally, you're unforgivable. I'm going to get... Yeah, I almost got carnal there. Come on, man. We got to be men, okay? Jesse. Right. He did that for a reason, didn't he, Jesse? Yeah. He, he chose them for a reason. It's a, it's a show of leadership. Does that mean that women can't lead? <laughs> man, there's a dicey one. <laughs> Women could lead when they lead in their proper call. It's simple. There's no way I could ever lead in my family in motherhood. It's not possible. But my wife can be the best leader in motherhood in our family that there could ever be. I can't do it. So in our proper calling, in our proper place, every point of leadership that we have. So ladies, I'm not letting you loose. I'm not letting you off the hook. You've got leadership too. And you've got leadership in different places. You've got leadership in ministry. You've got, yeah, listen, there were prophetesses. There were a female evangelists. There were, look through the scripture. Don't, don't discount that. But understand something. Men, if we don't stand up and lead, the women are going to. That's what I admire about women. If you don't, if you don't lead, they'll just push you out of the way and go to it. They, a lot of times they've got more gump and guts than the men. In our society here, y'all quit smiling at me and quit. I'm just saying that we need to listen. God's entrusting us with His work. Are we going to pass it off? Let the women do it. How many churches can you go in today? And when it comes to the work of the church, most of it is done by the. Thank you. No man said that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Take the manhood out. 
you, you'll notice that you'll notice that the devil didn't have the gut to go to the man. He went to the woman. Why is that? Because he knew that Adam was made in that image, and he knew God had spoken to Adam and not to Eve. You notice what he did there. It wasn't oh because Eve was weak. Was it was she weak or was she misinformed? What was she? Right. Leadership. Leadership. Okay. Finally, here's just what God, this is how God sees you. You know, you're, you're, you're forgivable. You're forgivable. You're forgiven. Man, you are forgiven. Probably the three most powerful words you'll ever hear in your life. You are forgiven. Because that could entail so many different things. But from God, you know, God doesn't rub your sin in your face, does He? Well, aren't you glad that, man, I, I'd have a pretty raw face. He doesn't rub my sin in my face. You know what He does? He rubs them out of existence. God rubs my sins out of existence. He never rehearses my sin to me. He never challenges me with my sin or rehearses it. We do that to ourselves a lot of time. We, we'll blame the devil, and the devil does do that. He's the accuser of the brethren. But many times we rehearse our own sin to ourselves. God doesn't do that. He releases it. You know, when God releases it, let me tell you something that's very important in your life. When God releases sin in your life and it's gone, don't bring it back up. Don't bring it back up. Well, God doesn't know anything about it. But listen, you bring it back up, you're owning it. And if, if God has forgiven someone for something, don't bring that back up. Because they're still safe. Now you own what you brought up. It's you. You have it. Now you got to go to God with it. God erases it. He gets rid of it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that we understand what forgiveness really is. What it really is. You're no longer accountable for the sin you committed when God washes it away. You're no longer accountable. What if Pastor Don were to go out and steal 10 of the best Mercedes Benz that exist on the road and he gets caught? Well, we know where he's headed. Prison. But what if Pastor Don got in front of the judge and the judge said, you know what? I'm going to forget all about that. You're not accountable for any one of those Mercedes-Benz. That seems a little foolish, doesn't it? But that's what God does in our life. We have these maximum and ultimate sins that we call extreme, and when we have these little sins that we call minor, they're all the same thing. When God washes them away, He says, that, that's, you're done. He's erased, they're forgotten, never existed. So the four pillars of knowing who you are, you're accepted Understand you're accepted. Who needs to accept you? God. You understand this what God what Jesus said about this. Now it's very important that you understand this. That's why you need to see yourself 
as God sees you, who you are, not, your, not, not who you see you are, because you have to accept yourself for who you are in God, not, not for who you are in this world, but for who you are in God, because he's looking at you from a different set of eyes than even you are looking at. So when you're accepted, understand that. You're valuable. You're valuable. You're valuable. You're so valuable. You were purchased with blood. That's how valuable you are. And you're capable. Listen, God, you're a, you're a royal priesthood. God has put in you some abilities that some of you have not even discovered yet. You haven't even discovered them yet. Their abilities and capabilities, their ministry, their uh, things that God has been wanting and building and growing, He's just waiting on you. And he's, you'll shock yourself. I don't think you can shock God. <laughs> God's not shocked by anything, but I think you'll shock yourself at what God's given you and what he wants you to do, and then you're forgivable. You're, you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You understand that, right? Darkness, marvelous, not just light, marvelous light, marvelous light. You're God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's creation. Understand how Peter, in, in the second chapter, of First Peter is trying to make us understand who we are. Who we are. We are that handiwork, that masterpiece. No mercy, have complete mercy. Bottom line, you're God's. You're God's. He owns you. That's who you are. Well, who, <clears throat> if anybody could own me in this world, who would I want to own me? All right, take God out of the equation. Anybody in this world that could own you, who would you want to own you? Yourself? Who else? Nobody else. You have to own you, and God owns you. Nobody else owns you. I know that's kind of hard for some of you guys because you think your wife owns you. Some of you ladies, you think your husband owns you. Some of you kids think your parents own you. Nobody owns you. You own yourself. Nobody's responsible for you but you. But better than that, God owns you. I'm just, I want this to sink in. He owns you. You're in his house and his place, his thing. Pretty awesome. Anybody have any thoughts, fears, unbeliefs? Let me, yeah. I come to understand the passage that we are accepted in the beloved when my two daughters got married. Uh, for any boy to date my daughters, they had to work out a set of standards that coveted from Scripture that they wouldn't violate in dating my daughter. So they went through a you know pretty severe process with that, but... When they married my daughters, uh, you know, you had this stranger in the family. But when you realized how much your daughters loved their husbands, it affected you to where you could love them as your sons. And when God sees us, we're uh, accepted in the beloved because Jesus loves us so much 
you know, that that turns the heart of God. It, yeah. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.